Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. Uh, Welcome to church. Glad you're here. If you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, uh, very glad that you are joining in with us and and worshiping with us tonight. My name is Tom, uh, and tonight we are going to talk about something that I feel very strongly about, something I feel very passionate about, and that thing is rest. I am very passionate about rest, and so we are going to talk about rest tonight. This is week two of a sermon series that we are calling Beautiful Resistance. You can see it up on the screen there behind me. And the basic premise is this, that as followers of Jesus, we have to resist the temptation that the culture puts on us to do certain things, but not just resist it. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, not just don't do this. Instead, we do this. It's not just a resistance to the world. It's a beautiful resistance. And last week, AJ kicked off the series by talking about our worship must resist idolatry. And you can check that out online if you didn't get a chance to listen to that at our website, yarmouthwc.com. But tonight we keep going with week two. Rest must resist exhaustion. Rest must resist exhaustion. Now, I haven't always been as passionate about rest as I currently am. Uh, Perhaps my journey with rest is very similar to some of your journeys with rest. I remember being a kid and my parents trying to force me into a Wesleyan hour on Sunday afternoons. Anybody familiar with the concept of a Wesleyan hour? That sounds like a real, a real cultish thing if, you're, uh, if you weren't a Wesleyan. That was your Sunday afternoon nap. It was dubbed the Wesleyan hour if you grew up in a Wesleyan church. And I remember being a kid and thinking, why, are my, why do I have to nap? There's too much fun to be had. But sure enough, like clockwork, each Sunday afternoon, we were forced to lay down, me and my brothers, for an hour-long uh, nap. And then get to college, right? A few years pass, get to college. In college, I couldn't fathom going to sleep before 2 or 3 in the morning every single night of the week. It didn't even matter if there was an 8 a.m. theology class waiting for me the next morning. I had Mountain Dew, and I had ramen noodles, and I was good to go, man. Don't worry about it. I am fueled by what I need. I don't need rest. Then graduate college and uh, get married. And I can remember being young and crazy and getting in the car and making spontaneous road trips off to Montreal and Toronto and drive through the night, just crank the tunes up, see friends, don't worry about resting, where life is for the living. We don't need to rest. But somewhere along the way, something changed. Something changed. And now I am the one who is constantly pursuing naps, and my children are thwarting me every time I turn around. It seems like daily they are thwarting my desire uh, for naps. The other day, I came home after uh, an evening meeting, and I walked in the house, and the way our house is set up, I walked through the kitchen, I kind of looked down the stairs into the playroom, and my wife was sitting on the couch with her legs crossed with a mountain of laundry around her, her head up, eyes closed, and mouth open. Completely, fa- She wasn't leaning on anything. She was just suspended in midair, fast asleep. Now, I'm all for naps. I love me a good nap. Sometimes a 20-minute recharge is exactly what the doctor ordered to make it through to the end of the day. But tonight, we're going to talk about rest at a deeper level than naps. Tonight, we're going to talk about 
like soul rejuvenating rest. And on the flip side, I want us to take a little while to, to take a look at life-sucking exhaustion. <clears throat> now, I don't think I really need to make a strong case that our world is very tired, right? Or at least here in the West, we're very tired. I'm going to for a minute or two, just in case you haven't caught on to the fact that we're all very tired. But you hear this kind of thing all the time, right? You ask somebody how they're doing, and the standard answer, it seems, these days is, well, I'm some busy. They don't actually say how they're doing. They just say that they're really busy. If those of us with kids, we're out running four or five nights a week sometimes, it seems, because our kids need extracurricular activities. They need to be well-rounded and, and well-developed as uh, children growing up. <clears throat> Some people wear their busyness like a badge of honor, proudly displayed on their shirt, right? Well, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm always on the go. Pretty busy. Pretty, pretty busy. I've met people who were waiting to get to retirement, just, oh, can't wait to get to retirement. And then they've been retired for six months, and they realize that they're even more busy in their retirement than they were when they were in the, the workforce, right? <clears throat> and our culture is not helping this busyness epidemic. There's a 24-hour news cycle all the time telling us how close we are to the next crisis or the next war at any given moment that could break out. The sum of all human knowledge is in a little black rectangle that we carry around in our pocket that can, be ex uh, that can be accessed at any time. We as people are accessible 24 hours a day through that same little black rectangle in our pocket, through phone calls and text messages and iMessages and Facebook messages and Instagram messages and Twitter direct messages and on and on and on it goes. These very social media companies have built their entire platforms on uh, comparing us with one another, right? We are just supposed to compare who's ahead, who has more, who has less, who's winning, who's losing right now. <clears throat> and I already mentioned we're out running our kids uh, here, there, and everywhere most nights of the week. And there's this pervasive feeling in our culture today that says you are defined by what you do, what you contribute, how much you are worth, and it's not really stated explicitly, but it's certainly implicit. A pressure that says you can't stop. You must do and be and make and have more. The answer is always more. Do more, be more, make more, have more. And what makes it worse is when you already feel like you're giving it everything you've got. Right? You already feel like you're working, you're hustling, you're trying to do your best, but you just can't seem to get ahead no matter what you do. It's tiring. It's exhausting. There's not enough time in the day to do all the things you feel like you must do. But the problem is if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it, and that gets them ahead and it puts you behind and that heaps the pressure on in a brand new way, and it's this endless cycle. No wonder we call it a rat race, right? Sometimes it feels like you're actually on a hamster wheel. You're exerting all this energy, but you're just going round and round in circles, and you're not actually moving anywhere. And it just seems like it's too much, doesn't it? There's got to be a better way. And surprise, there is. <laughs> there actually is. Jesus said some of the most beautiful words ever spoken in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
That's beautiful. That's what we want. We want rest from our labor, rest from our heavy burdens. We want this lightness to life that doesn't seem to be there a lot of the time, right? So, we're in church. You're watching a church service online. Next question. Have you ever left a church service feeling like you had more burdens lumped on you than taken off of you? Have you ever felt like a failure of a Christian? Felt like you're not really all that different from the people you work with who don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. The only difference, really, is you spend an hour in church once a week. Have you ever felt like a Christian fraud? I have. I certainly have. Have you ever felt like Christianity wasn't working for you the way it was working for other people? And I think if we're painfully honest, we would all admit that we've been there at one point or another. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're walking through there right now. You're just thinking, this isn't working. What am I doing wrong? And I think all of this, this, this exhaustion, this rat race, this feeling like a failure, this pressure that's being heaped on, I think all of it is at least partially connected to our misunderstanding of and our inability to rest. At least rest the way Jesus meant rest, the way Scripture talks about resting. And so we're going to go out on a limb today, and we're going to talk about rest, and we're going to talk about exhaustion, and I'm going to offer some suggestions. The first thing, I'm not going to blow anybody's mind here, uh, but you'll see it on the screen. The first thing that we need to know about rest is rest is required. Rest is required. Sometimes we treat rest like it's optional. Or rest is only for those who can't hack it. Rest is only for the weak, those people who have to take a break. I'm strong. I don't need to take a break. Well, that's a lie. That's just not true. It's, it's really not a suggestion. Rest is not a suggestion in Scripture. The need to rest is woven into the very fabric of our existence. If you're a human here tonight, rest isn't optional. It's necessary. In Genesis, in our early accounts of of creation, rest is a part of the creative process. For six days, God created, and on the seventh, he rested. Uh, It says in Genesis chapter 2, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I could probably just sit there and let us think about the fact that God rested, but I don't think we have time. I'll let you mull that over uh, on your own. The God of creation rested when he was done creating. And then in Exodus, if you flip in your Bibles one, one book forward from Genesis to Exodus, when he was giving his commandments to his, his chosen people, the Israelites, the, the, the Jewish people, rest was included in those commandments. He had 10 things, 10 things that were going to set his people apart from the others, and rest was included. Not only was rest included, if you flip open to to Exodus chapter 20, you will see that the commandment to keep a Sabbath, to rest, is actually the commandment that is given the most space on the page, God clarifying what it means to rest as his called out chosen people. It says in Exodus chapter 20, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. God gave that direct commandment to his people. You shall work six days, but you shall not work on this seventh day. No one should work. Not even your livestock should work on this seventh day. Now that commandment was given to God's chosen people just after they had come out of slavery to the Egyptians. And they were slaves for a long, long time. They were worked to the bone seven days a week. And so when God freed them from their captivity and and brought them out through Moses, his commandment reminded his chosen people that they were not defined by what they did. They weren't slaves anymore. They were his chosen people. Their value didn't come from what they did. Their value was that they were his, created in his image. And so maybe you're just here today, maybe you're just watching online to hear these next words. Your value doesn't come from what you do. Your value comes from the fact that you are made in God's image. And he invites you to be his child. Your value doesn't come from what you do. Your value comes from whose image you are made in. God takes rest seriously and says that we need to take it seriously as well. Now, everyone has a different limit. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online has a different limit. But if you don't take rest seriously, you will pay dearly for it. Might be sooner, might be later, but if you don't take rest seriously, you will pay dearly for it. You weren't designed to run full-time. You can't do it forever. Now, when we refuse to rest, when we refuse to rest, what we are essentially saying to God is, you know what? I don't really trust that you know what you're doing. I don't really trust that you really will provide. Like, I have to keep my hand on this, God, because if I take my hand off of this, this is all going to fall apart. And well, yeah, I know your word says that you are our sustainer and that life comes from you and that you are our provider, but come on, we both know if I take my hand off this, it's going to come crashing down. What you're saying to God when you refuse to rest is, I don't really trust you that much, God. I don't really take you at your word. Resting reminds us that we are human and he is God. When we rest, we are reminded that we are human and he is God. That's the first thing. You just need to, rest is required. It's not optional. Second thing I want to draw our attention to here tonight is that we rest in rhythm. We rest in rhythm. Now, this is kind of building off our requirement for rest, but you are created to have regular rest, not just when rest is convenient or easy or when the job is done or when the season is over. You were created to have regular rest. God commanded, work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. Now, Scripture calls this a Sabbath, and as we just saw in Exodus, no work was to be done. People have debated for millennia what it means to work, what is work, and what is not work. We're not going to get into that today. The point is, you were not created to go full-time all the time. You work, and you work hard and then you rest. You work and work hard and you rest. Now, this one gets us. This one gets us 
Because I know there are lots of people, lots of Christians, who know the value of rest and even have good intentions to rest, but they let the urgent dictate their calendars and they only wind up resting once every few months, if at all. They're not resting weekly in that rhythm that God wired us to rest in. Now, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a musician, so words like rhythm and words like tempo are important to me. Uh, in fact, many of you probably only know me as that guy who sings. Alex is the guy who sings well. I'm the guy who sings. <clears throat> Uh, I, I love music. I've been involved in music in, in church since I was 13, playing in bands and singing in choirs and all that kind of thing. It's been a huge part of my life for most of my life. And when I first landed here at YWC almost five years ago, which seems hard to believe, uh, I introduced the band to what we call click tracks. Now, I'm going to let all of you non-musicians in on a little secret. I'm sure you've seen us walking around up there and fiddling with our ears and making scrunchy faces and pulling stuff out and shoving things in. Those are our monitors. We're behind the speakers, and so those things let us hear what we're actually doing and play in sync with one another. Uh, maybe some of you with really good hearing have even heard this, but one of the things that we are listening to all the time is this metronome. There is a constant going on in our ears at all times. The drummer controls it back there, and the click track's job is to set pace for the band. Have you ever been in a worship service where the band didn't know how fast a song was supposed to be played? I've been in many, and it is painful. It's just chaos. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, that is who you are. It, it, the songs are meant to be played a certain way, and the, the click track's job is to secretly keep the band on pace. Now, what's amazing about the click track is when the band is in that pocket, when you find that groove, the click track just disappears. It fades away. When you're in the pocket and you're playing right on time with where you're supposed to be, it fades into the background and you don't even notice it's there. But then when the adrenaline starts pumping and you get to that really cool build part of the song, whoo, here we go, here we go, and you start rushing a little bit, whoa, suddenly all you can hear is a tick-tock, 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 you're too fast, you're too fast, you're too fast happening in your ears. It comes right to the forefront when you are out of sync with where you are supposed to be. Now, the thing, if you don't play music, you, you might not battle this, but every musician fights the urge to speed up. It's just in the DNA. You, you get on the platform, the adrenaline starts going, and every musician on the planet fights the urge to speed up. And there are even parts of songs where you can get away with speeding up just a little bit. The real intense, fast, fun parts of songs, you can, you can get away with speeding up a little bit. The problem, though, is when you do, you ruin the other parts of the song, right? Maybe the bridge can be a little faster because it's a little more intense. But then when you drop out of that intense bridge and you go back to a mellow course, if you're way too fast, oh, you've ruined it. You've ruined it. Uh, something I try to drill into the band every single time I lead is that intensity doesn't equal speed. Intensity doesn't equal speed. Just because a song is getting intense doesn't mean you play it faster. You'll ruin the rest of the song if you equate intensity with speed. 
And God graciously invites us into a rhythm. He has set the tempo before us. He is the click track to life that we follow. And when you're walking in step, suddenly it doesn't seem like a rule that must be obeyed. It fades into the background. Ah, this is the way life is supposed to be. And if you run off the click track for very long, whoa, something's not right here. I can tell something is off. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, a Sabbath, once a week? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm supposed to do no work once a week? Tom, you don't understand. My, my season is complete chaos right now. If I lose any time, I'm done for. I can't do it. And to those people, I will just say this. I get it, and I have been there. I have been there. I have felt like I need to sprint for the next two months. I need to just put my head down, and you know what? I'll get to the end of the season, and then I will rest. But all I can say is this. God's economy works differently than ours does. God's economy and God's timing work differently than ours does. I firmly believe that if we will honor the rhythms that God sets up for our lives, time somehow works differently in his kingdom. When we are walking in step, in tune with the Lord, he can accomplish more in six of our days than we can with our full strength in a full seven. I don't know how it works. I can't explain it to you. And all I can say is you've just got to take my word for it unless you want to try it yourself. And I think you should. I know that that is a real leap of faith. I know that that's scary. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Rest is a requirement. We are to rest in rhythm. Now, up until now, you could follow those two things, right? You could, you could dutifully rest in rhythm. You could dutifully take a Sabbath. You could do all the right things, and your life could still be hectic and frantic and feel overwhelming. Because the glue that holds all of this together is what I want to talk about as we land the plane here tonight. The glue that holds all of this together is we aren't just supposed to rest. We aren't just supposed to rest in rhythm. We are to rest in relationship with Jesus. We rest in relationship with Jesus. Our souls can only be rejuvenated by Jesus. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. If you'll come to me, I will give you rest. Now the problem is, as a culture, we're being duped. We are, we are mistaking relaxation for rest. Relaxation is fine and good, but it doesn't rejuvenate you at a soul level. Our culture tells us, oh man, did you have a rough week? What you need to do is put your feet up, binge watch four hours of television, fill your body with fat and sugar, and you will feel so much better. That's relaxation. And there's not even necessarily anything wrong with relaxing, but it doesn't rejuvenate your soul. It makes you escape your problems for a little while. It numbs you out to maybe what's going on around you, but it doesn't rejuvenate you at a soul level. Level. Our souls are only rejuvenated through relationship with Jesus. 
This theme is everywhere in Scripture, if you're looking for it. It's everywhere. You can't escape it, that Jesus is the one that brings life. Jesus is the one that brings rest. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people are doing all kinds of great things for God. They're busy. They're running around prophesying, casting out demons, doing all kinds of mighty works. They're probably applauded for all they are doing for God. But Jesus tells them he never knew them. There's no relationship there. Jesus' invitation to each of us is to come and rest in him. When we rest in Jesus, we get to know him. We don't merely want what Jesus can do for us. We want him. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this way, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. And yet, we drift all the time. We try in vain to accomplish all this stuff without Jesus, and then we get frustrated when we mess it up. Pete Scazzaro is an author who wrote a fantastic series of books called uh, Emotional Healthy. And an emotional healthy leader, Scazzaro calls this resting in Jesus being open to a loving union with God. Said another way, training your, your eyes and your heart and your mind to see God at work around you and in you and through you all the time. And living your life at a frantic breakneck speed doesn't allow that to happen. Now, a lot of the pushback from this kind of idea, this, this, this resting in God, comes from how we assume we have to do it. And some of you right now are sitting there thinking like, yeah, Tom, making a compelling case here. Rest seems good. Rest in Jesus seems better. But I can't sit in a chair for 12 hours every week with my eyes closed focusing on Jesus, right? I can't do that. I, don't, I, don't have, I have a, a life and responsibilities and, and a family. Like, I, I can't just sit there and meditate. And no, that's not what I'm saying. Just last week, AJ talked about how he has a hard time sitting in a chair and focusing on prayer. Just last week, we heard these words. He likes to, to walk his neighborhood or, 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 or talk to God as he's moving from thing to thing or driving from a, a appointment to appointment. Those few minutes, even those few seconds, if that's all you have, to refocus your mind and reposture your heart towards the Lord. God, help me to be mindful that you are here and that you are working and that I am not alone. <clears throat> Parents, You've got little kids running around your life as diapers and play dates and after-school appointments. And trust me, I am there. I am in it with you. <clears throat> Maybe you need to trade some time with your spouse. Hey, listen, for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to go sit in the car and I am going to refocus my heart and mind on the Lord. I am going to be reminded that he is with me and I just need to rest in him for a few minutes. And you know what? When I'm done, you, the car's all yours. You can go out and you can sit there too. <clears throat> Are you allowed to wear headphones at work? Or, or do you have a 20-minute commute? A lot of you live outside town and you work in town. Maybe for you, you need to redeem your commute. You need to listen to scripture 
on your way into work to be reminded that the Lord is with me today, that I can rest in him because he's got it. I don't have to bear the weight of this stuff today. I just need to be reminded that he loves me, that he's my father, and I just need to, 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 to focus my eyes on that. Maybe the most practical thing you could do is set your alarm 15 minutes early, go through your whole morning routine, and get to work 15 minutes early and just sit in your car. Be that weirdo out in the parking lot. Maybe that's the only 15 minutes you can get in the run of a day, and you need those 15 minutes to just start small and refocus your heart and your mind. Maybe you think, Tom, it's just not realistic for me to take a weekly Sabbath. Okay, maybe put one on the calendar for next month, right? Start small, take a baby step. Like, okay, God, on such and such a date in March, I am unplugging from everything. I'm going to do no work. I'm going to take delight in you. I'm going to rest. I'm going to enjoy the blessings that you have given me. And I am just going to be present with you. Uh, We've been basing this whole series on uh, a book called Beautiful Resistance. And the author, John Tyson, uh, he's a fantastic writer. There are still a few copies of the book kicking around if you want to get your hands on one to read it along with us in this series. This quote uh, from page 49 of his book leapt off the page and hit me square between the eyes this week as as I was reading. He writes this, I often wonder whether this is why the church lacks credibility in our world. Maybe it's not just our big scandals and our cultural failures. Maybe it's something much smaller, much more common, and much more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. Maybe we're just too tired to model agape love. We're too scheduled to show compassion. We're too distracted to pray and too much like the exhausted culture around us. What if Christians in Southwest Nova just put the brakes on a little bit, just just slowed down and took a breath and took the time to be present and built a little margin into their lives so that we could show compassion, so that we could model love, so that interruptions don't ruin our day? What if we were actually like bored for a minute? (laughs) We didn't immediately jump to Netflix at 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 a hint of boredom. What if we picked up a Bible and, and, and read what it said and, or sat in silence before God for just even a few minutes? What might he say? How might our perspective shift? What might happen to our anxieties and our hopelessness and our exhaustion if we would just learn to rest in him? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I've asked Alex to, to close our time today with a particular song. And I would like you to just sit there and maybe even close your eyes. Just be present in this moment and and, and consider these words. Consider what God is calling you to. Consider what step God is asking you to take. How he wants you to delight in him, to rest in him. Alex is going to lead us and then I'll be back up in just a minute.